Good evening. Um, tonight's, this week's shear was dedicated by Shimon Roth. This is in honor of his uh, new baby nephew born to his uh, brother and sister-in-law, Avi and Bracha, very, very big mazel tov. Uh, baby's name is uh, Yaakov Yehuda. May he grow up uh, to be um, and give a lot, a lot of nachas to his parents. May they raise him in good health um, and much, 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 much simcha and bracha to the entire family. Thank you, thank you, thank you for this dedication. Um, this week, Shabbos is going to be Parshas uh, Re'eh, and it's Shabbos Mavorchim Chodesh Elul. So I'd like to share something really, really fascinating as a preparation for Chodesh Elul to give deeper uh, insight into the power of the month of Elul. This is going to be based on a um, letter written by Reb, the great, fabulous Makubal, Reb Levi Yitzchok Schneerson, who's probably one of the best-kept secrets in terms of his Torah. His Torah is just extraordinary. It's difficult to learn because it's very, very cryptic, but uh, on this past Shabbos, on Chaf Av was his Yorzeit, and he writes a letter to his son, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and he's encouraging him to watch his health. Uh, the longer version of this letter we studied on Thursday night, but after I learned it, I said I must condense this into a, uh, an hour's class to try to get as much as we can and share this with, um, with you because it's just out of this world, extraordinary and very, very, very special. Uh, both the insight and when one sees the, the scope of, of, of Torah and especially of the mystical side of Torah and how much we really don't know anything. And there's so much secret to every nuance and nuance of nuance of Torah. So this is what I would like to share. Again, the main aspect of the letter, what's so beautiful, is that he spends three pages of cryptic, Kabbalistic um, the, uh, uh, um, uh, analysis in order to encourage his son to take care of his health. And he's coming to explain to him how the month of Elo is a month of healing, both in spirit and in, in, in uh, soul and in body, spiritually and physically. Um, so we know, we're all familiar with the concept that Chodesh Elul, the month of Elul, is a special month. It's a month to get close to Hashem. It's a month of introspection. It's a month of um, tshuva. And we take stock of the past year. We prepare for the new year. Um, Darizal tells us that the special month of Elul is hinted to in a pasuk in Shir Hashirim where it says, Ani ledodi vedodili. I am to my beloved and my beloved is to me. Now the Pasuk concludes, that's a Pasuk in Shira Shirin. so that words, Ani Dodi, I am to my beloved, which means we will draw close, to, we draw close to Hashem, the Dodi Li, and Hashem reciprocates and draws close to us. So the acronym, the first letters of these four words spell out the word Elo. Aleph Lamed Vav Lamed. Now the end of the Pasuk is Haroe Bashoshanim, the one who pastures amongst the roses. So what is the relationship of the end of the Pasuk, Haroah Bishoshanim, to the beginning of the Pasuk, which says, Anila Dodi What is 
pasturing amongst the roses. Now, Kabbalistically, we know that the rose is, um, is um, related, it's brought from the Zohar, that the rose has 13 petals. Uh, 13 petals of the rose. And the 13 petals of the rose are symbolic of the 13 attributes of mercy. And the 13 attributes of mercy are what we access during the month of Elul. These are extremely high level of divine grace and of divine compassion and kindness. And um, usually all year long, we don't have access uh, that much to this level, even though when we gather together in a minion and we call out, we know that they're never... Whenever we call out to it, with, especially with a, a, a quorum of 10 people, it, it's, it never goes unanswered. But yet, this level is far more accessible and pronounced from the beginning of Chodesh Elul until after Yom Kippur. And we're continuously evoking the 13 attributes of mercy during Slichas, when we're saying it before Elul and then on, on Yom Kippur as well, continuously, continuously, until the peak by Ne'ilah, with the closing moments of Yom Kippur, we repeat it all the time. So we can understand the relationship, since it's Ani Ladodi Vidodi Li, and the, this relationship is deeply enhanced. We are able to get close to our Creator, we have to get close to God, to our beloved, because Hashem is in such a, is in such a compassionate and open state as He's extending to us the idea of the Shoshanim, which are the roses, the 13 petals of the rose. Chazal, however, say that there's a medrash that says, Al tikri sheshanim. Don't read the word shoshanim. Ela sheshonim. Take the word shoshanim, which means roses, and read the word instead of sheshanim. Read it as sheshonim. Those who study. Those who study. So ani ledodi vedodi li. I am to my beloved. My beloved is to me. Haroe, the one who shepherds or pastures sheshonim amongst those that are studying Torah. So this is telling us that the month of Elul, in addition to the month of Elul being a month dedicated to extra prayer and to uh, beseeching Hashem with extra prayers that we do, one should also increase their Torah study because there is something about Sheshonim, about learning, and particularly the learning of Torah Shabalpeh. Sheshonim is referring to Mishnah. Mishnah is called Shona Halachos, studying Halacha, which is the study of Mishnah, studying of Talmud, or studying of Halacha. It doesn't say, the, it's not highlighting the studying of Mikra, which is biblical study. It's highlighting the study of Torah Shabbat. So we need to understand what's the relationship. Why in the month of Elul increase Torah study? I understand. And we want to increase our connection to Hashem. We have three main avenues of connecting to God through prayer. Through, through doing mitzvahs in general, and through Torah study. Torah, Vodah, Gemilas, Chassadim. And prayer we can understand that we highlight during this time, because you want to seek compassion. But why the, particularly the study of Talmud, study of Mishnah, what is its significance during this time, particularly to connect and to, uh, to increase our Nila Dodi Vedodi Li, especially in the month of El? And is there a relationship between the studying of Torah Shabbat, the oral law, and at the same time evoking the 13 attributes of mercy. Is there a connection between, because they're both hinted to in the same word, Sheshonim. Sheshonim means, I'm sorry, Shoshana, which Shoshana means either a rose, 
which is related to the 13 attributes of mercy that we cry out to in our special prayers. Shoshonim also means the studying of Torah. Is there a connection between these two ideas? So, uh, to understand all of this, let's go back to the first half of the Pasuk. Ani ledodi vedodi li. I am to me beloved is beloved to me. And, it's, and as we said, Elul is hinted to in the first letters of the, of the Pasuk. The Aleph, Ani ledodi vedodi li. So we have two Lamids in this Pasuk, in, 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 the, in the name Elul. And the two Lamids are following an Aleph and a Vav. So really the word Elul can be composed of two words. El, Ul. Okay, Ani Ledodi, Vedodi Li. El, Ul. So the El is Aleph Lamed, and the Ul is Vav Lamed. Let's try to get a little bit inside, deeper insight into the mystery of this holy name of this most auspicious month. Um, we know that Chodesh Elul follows the month of Av. Now, the month of Av is a heartbreaking month. It's a difficult month. It's a, a month. It's a hard. It's a harsh month. Uh, we commemorate the destruction of both of our temples, uh, the onset of our exile that we haven't yet gotten out of. So it's a, it's a difficult month. But we know that in of itself, we already begin to climb out of the darkness as soon as it's after Tisha B'Av, especially once we hit the fifteenth of the month. It's a very great yomtiv. The last half of Chodesh Av is kind of a positive energy. And it's leading us into Chodesh Elul. Is there a relationship between Elul and Av? So mystically, it, it really is. Because in Elul, something shattered, something cosmic broke. Personally, in our relationship with God, we suffered a tremendous break and a disconnect from Hashem. But also, cosmically, the world gets it, the, the connector that connects the creation to our Creator, which is the main station we can say the main uh, station in which we pick up divine frequency and through which that divine frequency enters into the minds and hearts of all of, all of humanity, that's the Beis HaMikdash. The Beis HaMikdash is that great tower, Migdal David, it's called the Tower of David. It picks up divinity, it brings miracles to the world, it brings God's presence, God's light into the world, and it enables all of us to be... It, um, um, have greater consciousness and greater awareness of our Creator, that God is so much more real in our lives. When the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, some, the major connector between Hashem and the world was, was, was destroyed and was disconnected. So there's this breaking, this disconnect. And as a result of the disconnect, there's also an Indian called of... of, of um, of illness. Golos is called an illness. It's an illness to the Jewish people. And it's even an illness to the Shekhinah. The Zohar says that the Shekhinah, with his divine presence, she is ill during the time of Golos. So when the Beis Amigdash is going to be rebuilt, and the Shekhinah is going to reconnect the HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and God's flow is going to come down into the world, then the Shekhinah will be healed, we will be healed, and the world, entire world will be healed. So as we're going to see today, in tonight's class, Chodesh Elul is the repair, it's the healing from that which is broken in the month of Av. So to get better understanding on this, let's introduce an, a very interesting idea. And that is that when we think about what is the most, 
when we say something in the month of Chodesh Av, there was a Chorben based on English, there was destruction of the based on English. Obviously, it impacts us very strongly. It impacts the world in a very, very deep way. But it also impacts God. In which sense does it impact Hashem? Well, Hashem wants, is seeking a relationship with His creation. Hashem created the world to be in a relationship with the creation. Obviously, when the world drifts away and is in a state of non-communication with God, that is, that affects Hashem very deeply. As we have so many Memar Chazal to tell us how Hashem literally weeps and He cries. Hashem cries every night and He's weeping for His base Amigdash that has been destroyed, for His children that have been exiled from their father's table. So Hashem is very, very deeply impacted by the Golas. However, in which particular aspect of the divine is the Golas most felt and, and do, did the most, we can, might, we can say, damage? It is in Hashem's attribute of kingship. Because after all, it's at that place where God decides that He wants to be a king over the creation, in which He makes contact with the creation, creates the creation, sustains the creation, is in a, re- is in a relationship with the creation. It's primarily and it's in the element of Malchus, as we've discussed in many times, that when Hashem lowers Himself down to the creation, God Himself is infinitely and infinitely, endlessly, infinitely transcendent, totally, totally beyond whatsoever any state that creation should have any kind of impact or an effect on Him. He is above, 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 to the point where it says in the Zohar that Kula Kamei Kolachshiv, all before Him is absolutely nothing. It's as if creation was a non-event and non-existence. However, God Almighty has decided to create the world. And in that process of creating the world, what does He do? He contracts Himself, contracts and limits, and brings, brings Himself, in other words, He makes Himself small to be in a relationship with the creation. That the ultimate descent of the divine to be in a relationship with the creation, it passes through ten sephiro, ten attributes, each attribute bringing him ever closer and closer and closer to making contact, to be in a, re- a connection with time and space, with our, re- with our time-space reality. And where does it really happen? In the attribute of Malchus. In Malchus is where Hashem is literally forging a bond with the world, because Malchus is really what demands this time-space reality to come into existence. Because a melech means, a king means, that he's a king over someone else. You can't be a king over yourself. You can't be a king over your own limbs. Limbs are you. There's no satisfaction in kingship in ruling over yourself. You can't even be a king over your close, your, your children, your close relatives, or even very dear friends. King is a king over strangers. So God has to create the concept of strangers in order to be a king over them. So it's the attribute and the level of Malchus that's the source of all of creation. Now the Zohar says an interesting thing. The Zohar says that the, that the Shekhinah, now this, this level, Malchus, is also called Shekhinah because this is the place where Hashem is Shochein. He dwells within the world. He creates the world, establishes a bond with the world, enlivens it, sustains it, controls it, and, the, and, and every aspect of our deeds uh, make a huge impact on him. He's, he's, when we're doing good, we're fortified 
we're endorsing him as king, when we're rebelling, God forbid, and not doing what we should be do, and then we're causing a blemish in his kingship. Now the destruction of the... Now, where did God truly manifest his kingship? When did God finally gain kind of control over humanity and establish himself as the master and the, and the, and the sovereign ruler over the creation? Now, the ultimate state of that is going to be only when Mashiach comes. But the closest that has been in all of history is when God took the Jewish people out of Egypt, gave us the Torah, then led us into Eretz Yisrael, and primarily when we built the Beis HaMikdash. When we built the Beis HaMikdash, and Hashem had a home in this world, from that home is where His rulership and His kingship, that's where, first of all, the Sanhedrin sat. They governed Jewish law. They decided how God wants us to behave through the Torah that Hashem gave us. And there was a Jewish government with a Jewish king that enforced the laws of the Sanhedrin. And the Jewish king was a representative of Hashem's kingship in this world. So Hashem was, via the Beis HaMikdash, a king over the Jewish people, and through us, a king over the world. When the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, and we don't have any more that, uh, that Beis HaMalchus, that palace, so what happened is, the, the, the attribute, so to speak, the kingship of God was, was I can't say completely uh, negated, but to a very, very, very great degree, it was severely, severely um, damaged, if we can say. And, uh, the, and that's why there's a Chilol Hashem during the time of Golis. Golis itself is called, the exile is called a Chilol Hashem. Because where is, like the nations say, where is your God? Where is his power? It doesn't seem like God rules the world. The coming of Mashiach is going to be the restoration of the Eberstus, of God's Malchus, over the world. So the main blemish of the the Chorben Beis Amigdash is in Malchus. Now there's a fascinating Zohar. The Zohar says in Vayikra, in, I think it's in Daf Chav Gimel in the Zohar, in Parshas Vayikra, there's a Pasuk speaking about in Shishi, Parshas Vayikra, it says, if a person sins, v'mnefesh achas techta, if a person sins bishgaga accidentally, me'ama oris, this is in Perek Dalit, Pasuk Chav Zayin, when she does achas mitzvah Hashem, one of God's commandments, Ashalosa said her that she's not supposed to do, meaning a person did something, they va'ashem and they're guilty. Then it says, oy hoida elov chatasai, when it became known to this person that they they sinned chatasai asher chata, the sin that they did, then they should bring a carbon. That's what it says. Uh, that's the pasuk. Now these words, oh. It's a little strange. First of all, the idea of oh, it should have been um, if. Usually, oh is not if. It im would have been a more appropriate word. Im If the person found out afterwards that he did an avera, it's a little strange. Also, it should have said oyada shechata, or he knew. The czar asks. It's to say, if he got to know that he did a sin, he realized afterwards. The Loshan Hoida means it became, it was, or the desire says it should have also said, Oinoida. Noida means it became known to him. So it's either Yoda or Noida. Hoda means someone is letting him know that he sinned. 
So what's this idea of someone letting him know that he sins? And what happens if no one let him know? He just realized it on his own. What's this idea of hoda? So the Zohar says an interesting thing. When a person sins, and a person doesn't realize that they sinned, they forgot it, they didn't really register because they're not super spiritually sensitive. Like last week we learned the idea of Akev mitzvahs that people trample on because just lack of mindfulness. We go about during the day and we cause sometimes a wreckage and we don't even know that we've offended you know, in our spousal relationships and sometimes we, we, we've done something which, and then we don't even realize that we hurt them. And then we, you know, how, how painful is it when someone has said something or done something and they don't even realize it. So above is the same thing. A person does something, a sin, and he doesn't know it. So it says like this, the neshama of the person, however, when it goes up at night, notifies it, testifies in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it goes up to God, and it, and, it, and it bears testimony that for what it has done. Then what happens is, HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells his shechina, which means Hashem speaks to his wife. As I mentioned earlier, shechina is the, is, the, is the aspect of the divine mostly engaged, involved, and mostly responsible for things that are happening in the creation. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is more aloof. But yet, and I don't know exactly the reason why, it is HaKadosh Baruch Hu who gets this information that the person sinned. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu notifies the Shekhinah. It's like a husband telling his wife, listen, the kids are misbehaving. Can you please do something to control the little one? Okay, you're home all day. Maybe I'm not home. Maybe I'm not there. So therefore I can't control if the kid is coming over and messing up all my papers on my desk. So I'm asking you to please you know, uh, be aware of what's happening with the kid. So the Zohar says that Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, tells the Shechina that notify, if so-and-so sinned, please notify that person that they sinned. How does the Shechina notify this individual that they did a sin? So the Zohar says the Shechina transmits to that person, since Shechina is the one that governs everything that's happening in this world, is directing and creating and sustaining and, and, and influencing all happenings in this world. So the Shekhinah delivers some dinim, judgments. The Shekhinah in general, as we're going to see soon, is built very much. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's a power, it's a king. It's a kingly force. A king is a governing, controlling being. And therefore the king has lots of, uh, um, has full authority, but it's part of that authoritative power that the ability to punish. So those gevura, those, that gevura element, which is called dinim, the shechina releases some dinim onto this individual. It can be, hopefully, just a small little hint. The person stubs their toe and hurts them. They wonder, why did this happen to me? Living in God's world. Why would God, we know a person doesn't stub their toe unless they was decreed upon from above. A person has some other frustration. Get a parking ticket got uh, some other thing, some other financial loss. Chas v'sholem, a little bit of sp- sprain an ankle. Could be worse than that. A person breaks a, a bone or something. I mean, who knows? A person gets a little ill or whatever. One has to ask them then the question, why did this happen to me? What caused that I should have suffered this pain? And then they start thinking and doing some kind of a cheshben anefesh, some kind of an accounting. They realize I sinned. And as a result of this, the person brings a karban chatas, the base of English is standing in atonement offering and they're forgiven. That's what the Zohar says. Um, 
when the Shekhinah has to notify the person of their sin, it's a painful notification. It comes through dinip. Now, this fascinating Zohar, he doesn't bring all of this in this letter, but I looked up the Zohar. The Zohar goes on and continues. There's one way that a person can avoid having to go through this hardship and this pain in order to, um, in, in, in order to be notified of the sin that they've done. The Zohar says if it's a person that wakes up and studies Torah at night. People who wake up very, very early, pre-dawn, and they study Torah. So those people don't need notification given to them from the Shekhinah. Those people can get the notification from the Torah. Because as they're studying at night, the Torah is going to whisper into their ears that they did something wrong. And obviously it means that they just would become sensitive on their own and feel and sense that there's something wrong. And they would and do tshuva on it. And the Zohar says that when, when the Torah notifies the person, it's, Torah speaks much gentler than the Shekhinah. So when the Torah is notifying the person on the sin, now again, I'm, I'm just going to guess, for those Kabbalistically inclined, that when, to, that when we say the Torah is notifying it, it means it's coming from the level called the Bina, which is much higher than Shekhinah. Shekhinah is the level of Malchus, and Bina is the mother higher than Malchus. There's the lower mother and the higher mother, which is Shekhinah, so, um, which is um, uh, a Bina. So when Bina gives the message, it's much, she talks much gentler than when the message is coming from, from, uh, from Malchus. Uh, that's just parenthetically. By the way, the Zohar also asks, if that's the case, how come by David HaMelech it says that um, David HaMelech was notified, when David HaMelech sinned with Bathsheba, it says that he didn't realize first that he sinned. And, HaKod, and Hashem said, you sinned and you don't know even that you sinned, I'm going to notify you. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu told the Shekhinah, ratchet up upon him the pressure. Give him some suffering. And that's, I think, when Avshalom rebelled against him and all the suffering. So the Zohar asks, well, if someone who wakes up in the middle of the night can be notified by Hashem, doesn't have to be notified, I'm sorry, can be notified by the Torah, doesn't have to be notified by the Shekhinah through suffering, is, can avoid the suffering. Well, the person who is the most well-known as the person who would wake up and study Torah at night is David HaMelech. So if anybody, David HaMelech should have been speared having to go through the Yisurim and the suffering. So the Zohar answers that David was an exception because David, his, his Avera was against the Shekhinah. The sin that David HaMelech perpetrated with Bathsheba was a direct blemish in the Shekhinah. Again, I'm guessing, could be Bathsheba means the seventh level and why particularly she was related to this so he was a blemish in the Shekhinah, so he had to be held accountable by the Shekhinah, and he didn't have that, that, um, that, he wasn't able to avoid it by being notified by a level higher than Shekhinah. Okay, this is all parenthetical. So the Zohar says, this idea, that when a person doesn't know that they sinned, and they get a notification directly from the Shekhinah to wake them up, this idea is what the Pasuk means over here. When it says, Oi, hoi de elov the Zohar says the word O, that's the Shekhinah. Aleph, Vav, Oi, that's the Shekhinah. And Oi, Hoi, the Elof Chatasai means HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling the Shekhinah, Oi, Shekhinah, you. 
It's like a person calling his wife, honey, <laughs> do so and so, right? So HaKadosh Baruch Hu is calling the Shekhinah, Oi, that's her name. Hoi Da'elov, you notify, it's a, it's a command. Hoi Da'elov Chatasai, you notify to the person his sin. And the Zohar brings that, the way the Pasuk that says, Hoi Da'es Yerushalayim Es Chata'av, notify Yerushalayim its sins. So, um, yeah, this is the idea, that's what it says. So we see from here that the word oi, or o, is the name of the Shekhinah. The commentators on the Zohar say, say from Oire Oir, by a big Kabbalist, and also Reb Chaim Vital, in his Pirush on the Zohar, say, he has agos, he has notes on the Zohar, say that the reason why oi is referring to Shekhinah because the word O is, is Alevav, which is Gematria 7. And Shechina is the seventh Madrega. It's the seventh level. There are seven spheres beginning from Chesed, like we do it in Spheres Omer, right? Chesed, Gevurah, Teferes, Netzachor, Yusod, Malchus. Malchus of Shechina, the seventh level. So that's why Oi, which is Alevav, is referring to Shechina. Fine. This will um, also explain, you know, in continu- so that, that's the passage of the Zohar. In continuation to, to this uh, passage in Zohar, this is a statement of Rabbi Yehuda, the Zohar continues with later, a little, just a few passages later, with Rabbi Yehuda go- continuing and telling us about, about uh, the Dalad Minim. On, on Sukkot, we take four species of um, of fruits, of, of, of uh, vegetation, and we hold them together, we shake them in all directions. So the Zohar goes on to speak about the Priates Hadar, the Kapitz Tamarim, the, uh, the four Minim. Um, so one of the styles of Rebbe Levi Yitzchak, in the way he learns Zohar and the like, is he's always connecting the teachings one to each other. There must be a relationship, if this was said, right after that. And in this case, it happens to be Rebbe Yehuda who's continuing the teaching. So what's the connection of all of this to the Dalad Minim? So he explains, well, once we know that the Shechina is called Oi, so now we'll have an understanding also in the mitzvah of the Dalad Minim. Because in the Dalad Minim, in, when we take on Sukkot, even though we're taking four species, but in truth we're really taking seven items. We have one Esrug, we have one Lulav. Then we take three Hadassin, which is the minimal, you can add more, but Three is the minimal of adasim that we take, myrtle branches, and two willows, two aravas. So these are the four things that we take together. So if you add them up, you have seven. Three and two, one and one is seven. Okay, now if we look carefully, we will see that the way we take it is that we take the lulav and we tie together with the lulav the hadasim and the aravas. So there are six of those items bound together. And the esrog is held on its own. So the esrog is held on its own, and then the six together. Well, so he points out, take a look, that's exactly the word oi, because you have the vav of the o is six. That's your lulav, and with all the species tied together. And then your esrog, that's the aleph, right? Which is one. Esrog also begins with an aleph. A vav looks a little like a lulav, it's tall, right? So now you have a straight line. And now, not only that, you have an aleph and a vav. 
they're two separate entities, but you bring them together, you hold them together. You don't tie the Esra to the Lulav like these two letters. Even though they're two letters, they are connected to each other to form one word. Now, this is not just a cute idea. This has to do with what it says in Kabbalah and in many places, that the shaking of the Dalit Minim, this whole procedure of Dalit Minim, are all are all hashpav, it's all something that we're accomplishing in Malchus in the Shekhinah. Um, and it's not the place for it right now to explain this, but they're all related to the element of Malchus. And we're shaking them, we're trying to evoke the aspects of Malchus, we're trying to evoke the, the, uh, the elements of Malchus. And particularly, it's interesting, he points out that there's a major difference between the oi of the of the uh, of the chatas that we spoke earlier, that the oy is supposed to give a a send down, a, 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 a an awakening call, an alarm to wake a person up when they sin, and what we are doing with the seven with the seven species or the four species when we're shaking them, it's two separate things. Over there, by Malchus is delivering a sting. Malchus is delivering one of its gvurais. We said earlier Malchus has a lot of gavura inside of it because Malchus is, the, the name of God associated with Malchus, by the way, is the name Aleph Dalid Nun Yud. Right? It's called Shem Adne, Adna. Aleph Dalid Nun Yud, which means Adon, Master. If you take the word Aleph Dalid Nun Yud and you rearrange the letters, you get the word Dina, which means that Malchus has Dinim to it, it has judgments to it. But we also know that Malchus is also based on chesed, on kindness. As it says, that your throne will be established, which throne is the throne, Kisei Malchus, the Kisei of Hashem's um, Malchus. With chesed, your throne is established. So the Kisei of Hashem, Hashem's throne, has chesed as well. too. These are two elements, two flows that have to flow into Malchus, one is Malchus is built on Gevura, and Malchus is also built on Chesed. It's a blend of both. On Sukkis, when we're shaking the Lulav and the Esrug, and we're evoking the O, over here, we want to evoke the Chasadim, not the Chesed element in Malchus, not the Gevura that it is in Malchus. So that's interesting, and he points out, that's why when we shake the Esrug and the Lulav, this oi that we're shaking, we're shaking the Shechina, we're shaking Malchus, what we're trying to evoke and we're stimulating is chesed. That's why we're, we're shaking when we say, Hodul Hashem Kitov That's when we shake in that pasuk, because we want to draw down chesed from the Shechina. And also another one is by Ana Hashem Now, Ana Hashem please God, save us. Hashiana, send us a salvation. Yeshua is Shayach to chesed. Like we see, it says in Pasuk, your right hand, your mincha is the right, and we know the right is the power of chesed. Let your right hand give us a salvation, a Yeshua, and help us. So you see that Yeshua comes from the right side. By the way, he explains in many places that Hatzlacha, because we say right after Ana Hashem we say Ana Hashem He says Hatzlacha, is associated with Gevura, with the left side. That's why we find, by, particularly by Yitzchak, you know, Avram is Chesed, and Yitzchak is Gevura. We don't find the word Hatzlacha by, by Avram. 
we find Hatzlacha by Yitzchak. It says more than once, but one of the places I'm going to give you now is by when Eliezer went to find a, a, a Shidduch for Yitzchak. So over there it says, Hatzliach Hashem Darkly. So Hatzlacha is related to Gevura. He actually points out that when um, the word Hatzlacha, the root of the word is Tzalach. And Tzalach means to chop. The Targum of the words, Vayavaka Atzeya Oila. That he 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 splintered the 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 the, the, uh, the wood by the ola, the targum of the word vayavaka is utzlach. So you see, hatzlacha means to sp- the word hatzlacha means to break down, to cut into chop into pieces. So it's shayach to gavura to the left side, and that's why when you're shaking the lulav, you see. We do not shake by Anna Hashem We only shake by Anna Hashem because the point of the shaking of the of the lulav is to evoke the chesed elements that are in Malchus and not the gevura elements that are in Malchus. Okay, this is this is the idea that Oi is the Shechina, Malchus. But now he asks a very very important question: If this is the case, and why is Oi Malchus? Because Oi is Seven. Good. For that, you have another letter in the Aleph base. You have Zion. Zion is seven. I don't need to have an Aleph and a Vav. What's the reason why Dafka and Aleph and a Vav, or if you want to make another number seven, make it the uh, Gimel and Dalit. That's also seven. Make it the uh, Bez and Hay. Why Aleph and Vav? These things can't just be random. If it's an Aleph and a Vav together, must be there's something about Aleph and Vav that gives you the, the, the idea, the, the element of Malchus. Now, again, by the way, Zion also represents Malchus. I'm not saying it's not, but, but one of the things that Malchus is represented to is by the word Oi, which is an Aleph and Avav. So to understand this, he says, let's take a look at the meaning of... Let's take a look at the meaning of the word Oi. In other words, in addition to the Gematria, Let's actually look at the meaning of the word O. O means always um, or. And when do you use the word? You use it when you want to say this or something else. Okay? Uh, Whatever the Torah uses at many places. Uh, It lists a few things and then it says or so and so. So the... the, uh, so, So how does that relate to Malchus? This is a phenomenal idea. And that is as follows. The whole concept, so just one, one, one more point that we have to analyze over here. Oi, the word oi is not yet the other thing. The other thing is the word that comes after. Uh, what is the Pasuk over there? If you found, uh, if a person, I'll show you, I don't know where the Torah uses o, but there's um it's not coming to me right now, and I don't have it in front of me. But the oi is always an introduction for something else, but that's not get to something else. The something else is coming after this. So he says, well, take a look. The whole concept of something other existing is Malchus. You see, until Malchus, it's only Hashem. And even though there are billions and billions of levels of different various contractions, where Hashem is contracting His infinite light, and He's lowering Himself down into lower levels and lower levels, and in a sense, even creating worlds. But all those worlds are all still part of Him. 
It's not yet something other than him. It's only when you reach Malchus, go through all the ten spheres, and you get Malchus, which is the last stage in the world of Atzilus, which is still one with God. So, and Malchus says, in order for me to be a Melech, I need to have somebody that's not me. So now, the concept of otherness emerges after Malchus. Malchus is the last level. Malchus is a lot of times referred to as the door. Pesach, it's the door. Once you go through Malchus, Malchus takes you outside. Malchus is still, it's, itself is still inside. But the Malchus leads you to the outside of God, so to speak outside, or at least what experiences itself as outside. And those are the three worlds, Bria, Yetzir, and Asiyah, that are that is that Nishamis uh, and Malachim, and then finally physical beings, creatures, exist in are the residents of these three worlds, which are, so to speak, outside of God. So now we can understand why Malchus is called Oi, because Oi is the word that leads you into something that's not Hashem, that's disconnected from God. But the word Oi itself is not yet that disconnection. So that's why Malchus is called Oi. Now, to further, further, but everything has to be so accurate. And so, the meaning of the word is one thing. But now let's analyze something, the Aleph and the Vav itself, and go a little deeper into it and understand why the, 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 the Malchus is made up of these two letters, which mean something other. But what, what, what is it about these two letters, Aleph and Vav? We know Kabbalistically an idea that all the spheros, all the attributes, are composed of all other attributes. Which means that, for example, in Chesed, there is, it's a composite. It's not just Chesed, which is kindness. There's Gevura Sheba Chesed. There's the Gevura element of kindness. Which means that when I'm being tough and disciplining to my children, it's because I love them. It's because I have a Chesed to them. But I'm incorporating Gevura as a means of... Com- of communicating my love. And so on with all the spheres. They're all integrated and all unified with each other. And the same is also with spheres, some malchus. So malchus has a keser malchus, the crown of malchus, and then there is the chachma of malchus, and the bina of malchus, and so on and so forth. The main two features that are in malchus, the primary two most powerful points in malchus, are the keser of malchus, and the das of Malchus. Kesser is the crown, and das means the knowledge of Malchus. And the kesser and the das are hinted to with an aleph and a vav. The kesser is the aleph of Malchus, kesser Malchus, and the das of Malchus is the vav of Malchus. Now let's first explain why, and we also want to explain why the kesser and the das are the main aspects of Malchus. But first I want to Analyze for a second what is Kesser and what is Das and why is Kesser hinted to in an Aleph and Das hinted to in a Vav. So the first thing is like this. Kesser is the first level. It's the, the number one level. You can understand that's why it's hinted to in an Aleph. Also, the word Aleph, if you rearrange the letters, spells the word Pele. Aleph, if you rearrange Pele. Pele means a wonder. And that's why Kesser is, is, is called Pele because the level of Kesser is usually still ain't sof. It's hot. You can't grasp it. It's above the head. Whichever level you're at, Kesser is an ormak, if it's an encompassing level, it's above your head. 
it's like, like physically, a crown you wear higher than the head. So a crown represents that which is above the intellect, above what one can grasp. Something that's above your grasp, you wonder about. You have no idea what it is. You, can, you don't understand. You can't comprehend it. That's the Kesser. That's the Aleph. So Kesser Malchus is the Aleph in Malchus. Pele, it's the wonder. Das. Now, we know that our three intellectual faculties, Chachma, Bina, Chachma means wisdom, Bina means understanding, and Das means knowledge. We've discussed many times that the function of knowledge is not information. Information you get in Chachma and in Bina. In Chachma you get a point of information, and in Bina you dissect the information and you get all the details of it. So you're already complete with all your information in the Chachma and in the Bina. The Das is the Koach of Hamaka. Hamaka means to go very deep into it. I mean, to attach yourself to something until you can sense its truth, until you can feel it, until you can touch it, until you become one with it. A das is really to identify with something. Das is the bond. And that's why das is the root and the source of the emotions. Without das, chachma and bina are called the parents of the emotions. The chachma and the bina are father and mother. But if there's no das, it says in Tanya, uh, in the third chapter in Tanya, that without any das, they will never have any children. Das is the connector. And the reason, it's the intimacy that creates the child, that brings along the child. And the reason for that is, if I study and I learn, I can study, I can learn Kabbalah, I can learn Hasidus, I can learn the deepest, highest things about Hashem. If I don't connect to it and realize that we're talking about my Hashem, not just a God out there. If I don't understand that when we talk about Torah and mitzvahs, it means the mitzvah as it's my mitzvah. And this mitzvah, how when we say that the mitzvah brings down Hashem's light and it's a connection, it means that literally me, when I put on tefillin or when I'm lighting Shabbos candles, I'm bringing this infinite light into my soul. I don't get excited about it. And you need to have das. Das is the ability to sense something, to feel its reality. That's why the Zohar refers to, and the Zohar says about das, that das is a key, maftecha, the kolol shis. It's a key that includes all six. What does that mean? It it, it's the key to open up all the emotions. Through Das, you can feel emotions. You can get excited with love. You can get excited with fear. Without Das, you can, something can be very, very enormous and, and threatening, but it doesn't threaten you because you don't have the Das. So the Das gives you all emotions. It, it makes you, it opens up the experience of the emotion. It connects the intellect, the information to the emotions. That's why Das is hinted to an Avav, because Vav is six. And Das is not an entity onto its own. It's the source, it's the neshama, it's the soul of all the emotions. That's in general. Keser and Das. Aleph and Vav. In Malchus in particular, let's translate into Malchus. In Malchus, the idea of Keser Malchus means the desire, Keser is also associated in many places with the koach of Ratzon and Tainog. Will and pleasure. Because will and pleasure are encompassing powers in the soul. They're not particular kochos anefesh. They're more overall general powers of the entire human being. That's why it's still above the mind. I'm not going to get into it right now. We really don't have the time. But I'm just saying briefly, for those familiar with a little bit of Hasidic, with Hasidic ideas, no. That Kesser, the Chitzonius of Kesser, is Ratzon, desire for something, and the Pinedius of Kesser is the pleasure, the deep inner essential pleasure of the soul. So when we say Kesser Malchus, it means that the king, that, oh, 
referring to God, or regular by regular king, it's that a person has it within them. Not everybody has this, but a person has it within them to have a pleasure in being, having sovereignty, being ruling over others. Okay? And as a result of that deep pleasure, they have a desire to be. The pleasure creates desire. Now I have a desire to be a king. In a true king, someone who deserves to be a king, we're not dealing with someone who just wants to oppress other people, but someone who's really deserving to be a king is someone who is so above the people. Therefore, in other words, if you ask a question, why in the world should people submit themselves to the kingship of a person? Willfully. I'm not talking about someone who forced them to it, but willfully. It's because they realize that this person is so above them that they're willing to blindly follow this person and follow all of his decrees, even to the point that this person has control over their life. It must be that this person is so much above them. But if he's so much above them, and they're so tiny and insignificant and so small, why should he bother with them? Why should he even care about them and about whatever is going on in their world? So we can understand that in order for a king to be a king, it, it requires that he should desire this kingship and find a pleasure in it. For whatever reason, he has a pleasure in it. But he has a pleasure. But without that, we can understand, like, why does he want to be a king? Kingship requires a deep pleasure and a sensation. As a result of this pleasure comes a desire. And that desire is like kind of the battery. It's the neshama. It's the soul for the entire occupation of the king and being a king. Which will, you understand, from this keter, from this keser malchus, from this crown, which when, when people crown him, in other words, they're giving him, they're evoking in him a desire, it's what we do in Rosh Hashanah, mainly with Hashem. We evoke in Hashem a pleasure and a desire to be a king. So when from this desire and pleasure, he will now um, give himself over to being a king. In what? He will come up with the insight, the ideas, the intelligence of how to rule. That's his chachma of Malchus. That's, you understand, the next stage after having a desire is, okay, so how will I do this? So then he, has, he brainstorms the idea of how to be a king. And he details that idea in the Bina. And then, and then comes further, as we're going to speak in a moment, then comes the emotions, and finally there's the actual governing force, and that's called Malchus Sheb Malchus. The actual kingship is the, the edicts, the decrees, the governing power that he does. And before that, there was the ideas behind it, his emotions that he feels, and so on and so forth. So you start with Kesser, that's the Aleph. So we understand why that's so primary. Without that, you have zero. You have no kingship whatsoever. That's the Aleph of Malchus, Kesser Malchus. But then there's something else. In order for, see, the Kesser is the king's pleasure and delight, deep, deep inside himself, in a place that he has no he wants to be a king over them, but he is so, he is still so merumam, he is still so exalted, he is still so high, so elevated, and distant and removed from them. The next thing is, he has to be able to feel them and sense them. That's Das. Das, as we said before, is the connector. He has to connect to them. And as a result of him connecting to them, that they're real to him. He feels their, 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 who they are, what they are, what their needs are. Then he can emotionally get involved with them. So the next aspect after, the next primary feature in Malchus is the Das of Malchus. So Kesser is the entire, 
Kesser is the power for him to rise above them, remove himself, be above, transcendent, his elevated, his elevatedness, in a sense, his, his apartness from them is in his Kesser. In his Das is where he's connecting and feeling them, so Das is lowering himself down to their minuscule, miniature world to be involved and to guide and to direct and to be an inspiration to them and a, whatever, a, 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 their king. So that's the Vav of Malachs. Now, once we have this idea, there's the Aleph and the Vav. You know, one more very important idea. The Aleph, the Keser, Malchus, is, is the Chesed, is, is its energy is an energy of expansiveness. He's sensing himself. He's sensing his greatness. He senses his elevation. He feels that he deserves to be a king because he's so much higher and above these people. So that's called expansion. He's open. He's, 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 he's fully pronounced. He's fully open and, 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 so to speak, spreading himself out. In order for him to sense their tiny little needs and their, their minuscule world that they're occupied with, he has to do the exact opposite. He needs to contract himself. He needs powerful uh, 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 contraction and, 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 and limitation to limit himself down to their world. So the Das is primarily energized by Gavuras, by Gavura energy. Gavura means limiting and contracting. So in the king, these are the two forces. In Keser Malchus, there is a lot of chesed, a lot of expansiveness. In Das of Malchus, there is contraction and limitation. Okay, so now we have the Aleph and we have the Vav. Now, now let's take it to one more important stage and then we'll understand what Av is and what Elul is and all this will come together in an amazing way. The next thing we need to know is that Malchus in general is a sphera, it's an attribute that doesn't have anything of its own. It needs to receive everything from above it. Malchus is compared to the moon. And in the moon, we know that moon doesn't have any of its own light. She doesn't have anything of its own. Malchus is many times compared to speech. And speech is a bunch of letters, words. They're lacking content. They have nothing unless you put content into it. Speech is only meaningful if you're giving over a, an idea, if you're sharing an emotion, a feeling, and so forth. You're putting content to it. Speech or, just, or else you're just running around saying a bunch of letters, you're total mashugana. There's nothing there. Okay? So words re- are recipients. It's like the moon that must receive, receive its energy, its vitality from higher. So therefore, the keser malchus and the das of malchus receive its power from above it. The kes in keser What's, what's flowing into Kesser Malchus is some kind of chesed energy. Because as we said before, Kesser, in Kesser there's an expansiveness, and in, in, in Das there is contraction. So in the Kesser Malchus, what's flowing to it from higher is a chesed flow, and in the Das of Malchus, what's flowing into Malchus from above is Gevura, is a constricted energy. This is, by the way, hinted to in the Pasuk, Kvod malchuscha yoimeru, ogvurascha yidaberu. It's a pasaganashre, which means the glory of his kingdom they speak, ogvurascha, and your power and your might, yidaberu, they talk. 
So this Pasuk is actually talking about the construction of Malchus. Kavoyed Malchus, the glory of the king, that's the crown of the king. Yoimeru, it's interesting. Yoimeru is when you're speaking gently. Amira is a chesed type of, a, type of speech. Kvoid malchuscha. Into the kesar malchus, yoimeru, is a flow of chesed. It's amira raka. It's a kind way of communication. It's a kind communication. But ugvurascha, into the das of malchus, what you're doing gvura, yedaberu, you're speaking harshly. Because Rashi says in many places between amira and dibor, amira is soft. It's both speech. One of them is soft speech a more kind way of communication, the other one is tough. So we can understand, because in the Das, you, the Gvurascha needs Yedaberu, and Kvoid Malchuscha, Yemeru, fine. And it goes through many other psukim, I'm not going to get to it right now, but this is the idea. Where is the Keser receiving its, where is the Keser receiving its, um, the Keser Malchus receiving its Chesed energy flow? And where is the das of Malchus receiving its, um, its, uh, its constricted flow, its, 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 its gavuras? So both of them she's receiving from her husband, called HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which Kabbalistically is called the Zeir Ampin, the six emotional attributes. The chesed, the keser of Malchus, is plugging into the teferis of the Zeir Ampin. Okay, let's see, remember now. The Tezer Anpin has six emotions. Chesed, Gevura, Teferes, Netzach, Hod, Yesod. The Teferes, and, in, and it all serves one, one unit. The Teferes of the Mashpia, of, of, of what's called HaKadosh Baruch Hu, of the Zeir Anpin, is from where the Chesed energy is flowing into the Keser of Malchus. Okay? In the, the Gevura from Das, in the Das of Malchus, which is receiving the Gevura, it's receiving it from the Yesod of the Zeirant. We know Teferis is higher than Yesod, Teferis, but both of them are in the middle. Chesed is on the right, Gevura is in the left, Teferis is the center, and then Netzachod Yesod. So te- Teferis and Yesod are both in the center. Okay, Teferis is higher and Yesod is lower. So now, when Malchus is plugging in, so to speak, to her husband, to receive the vitality and the energy from him. So her keser is receiving from his teferis, and her das is receiving from his yesod. Now, again, it's not that important for today, t- tonight, to explain exactly what this means and why these levels. Just get the idea. There are two flows that are coming into Malchus from these two places. Now, here's a fascinating idea. Again, it's a little, it's, again tonight's class is Kabbalistic, but it's understandable, okay? We know that in Aleph Beis, there is many systems of Aleph Beis. There's regular Aleph Beis, but there is also a system called um, an Atbash system. And let me explain what that means. Atbash, the simple meaning of Atbash is, there's Atbash, which is you, you, you connect, that you take the first letter of the Aleph Beis, and the last letter of the Aleph Beis, and you create a pair. Aleph and Tuf go together. Beis and Shin go together. Okay? They can interchange with these other, they can also go together. But there's another system called At-Bach. The At-Bach system, there's various different systems Kabbalistically related to how Aleph Beis appear together and work together. The system of At-Bach is a system that works as follows. The Aleph, all single digits pair up with each other. So the 
from Aleph to Tess, which is 1 through 9, pair up with each other. And each pair equals 10. And the way you work is like this. Aleph and the Tess go together. Aleph is 1 and Tess is 9. They bond together and they're 10. Bez and Ches go together and they're 10. Gimel and Zion, Vav and Dalid pair together. Okay? And that's already all of them. Besides Hey, Hey doesn't have a pair. And then you do the same thing in the next digits of the Aleph base. The, um, the, the Chaf, the next after, no, um, sorry, start with Yud. Yud and Sadek go together, and it makes a hundred. Chaf and Pei go together, and then Resh and Chaf, um, uh, uh, Lamed and, uh, Lamed and, sorry, not Resh, uh, not Shin, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Yud and Sadek, Chaf uh, uh, and Pei, um, what's next? Lamid and Ayan, and so on and so forth. And over here, too, the Nun doesn't have a pair. And how you do it in the last stage where there are three digits is complicated. There's two opinions, but I'm not going to get into that right now. Let's just stick with the first. What we're going to work today is only, anyways, only with the single digits. So this is a system, Kabbalistically, it's spoken about. Okay, it might even be brought down in Shas, too. Atbash, Atbach system. So, what does it mean? Okay, you have these, these letters peering up. What does it mean? So in Kabbalah it says, from Reb Chaim Vital, again from the Arizal, that the Aleph Tess, all these digits, all these four peers, not just the four peers, all the, actually if you, you finish all the Aleph Bays, you have 12 peers, 12 Chavrusas, 12 things that peer together. Um, they're all in Malchus. Whenever you see the At-Bach system, they're all, it only symbolizes malchus, not other attributes. Why? Because only over here in this level, every single attribute, every single nuance in malchus needs a chavrusa, needs a peer. Because as we said earlier, malchus is a recipient. She doesn't have anything of her own. So she needs someone to give her that energy because without her husband, without her source, she has no life. So everything she must receive from someone. So therefore, she peers up so the, we said earlier, the Aleph is the Kesser of Malchus. But the Kesser of Malchus doesn't have any energy, doesn't have any desire and pleasure on its own. It must receive it from where? From the Teferis, right? So, oh, so it's connecting to a Tess. The Teferis, Teferis, by the way, doesn't start with a Tess. It starts with a Tuff. It's not that I, it's not, it's the, the, don't, don't get that confused. We'll see why it's a Tess. The Aleph of Kesser Malchus is receiving its illumination from Teferis, and what Teferis is giving to it is the test. It's giving to it, why? Because it's giving it nine points, nine energies. It's transmitting from Teferis down into, into the Kesser of Malchus. Maybe it's the nine points, which are the nine potential of the nine next spheres that are going to come out, the Chachman, the Bina, and the so on and so forth. But that's what it says. The, the test is what is being given to it from above. Now let's go to the Das of Malchus. The Das of Malchus, we said before, is the Vav. So what is it receiving from Yesod? From Yesod, it is receiving, where does it get its Das? What's its companion? Where is it receiving? It's receiving the Gevura. It's receiving the Gevura. And Gevura is compared to fire. And in a fire, he says, there are four colors. Four colors in fire. So that's why it's receiving a Dalit. So the Vav, the Das of Malchus, is receiving a Dalit. That's its channel where its vitality, its gavura is being flow, channeled into it, the Kesser of Malchus is receiving a test 
found that the Pharisees are nine points of energy. By the way, I'm just going to share quickly, the Bays, the Bach, is Malchus, the Bays, that's the Chachma of Malchus, it's called Bays, because Bechachma Tivne Bayes, Bays is a Bayes, and it's the second level, and it's receiving from the uh, net, from, from Netzach of, of the Ze'eranpin, it's receiving Ches, it's receiving eight points. And then the, uh, the, um, the uh, Bina of Malchus, which is, which is the um, Gimel of Malchus, is receiving from um, the Zion seven points from the Hod of, of, of the Ze'eranpin. Yeah, just, that's just in short, but that's not no gay again. The main thing that we have to have today is what we're talking about is the main two hashpas, the main two pipelines, are the tess flowing into the aleph, which is the keser malchus, and the dalid flowing into the vav, which is the das of malchus. That is when things are working in, in with the way they're supposed to work. When there is no chas v'shol and interruption, when there's no dis, dis, disruption in the godly flow. When things are, when the Beis HaMedish is standing and God is king over the world, his kingship is fully manifest, Malchus is enriched with all this energy, the chesed flow, the gavura flow, she's got perfect balance in her kindness and in her discipline, and everything is working the way it should be. Chas by the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, Eicha, Yashva Badad, how did she sit alone? She's like an almana, she's like a widow. She gets separated from her husband. As it says in Kabbalah, it says in the Zohar, during the time of Golos, God disconnected. HaKadosh Baruch Hu removes from Malchus. So he disconnects. So the Tess goes away from the Aleph. And the Dalit goes away from the Vav. And Malchus remains pure with an Aleph and a Vav. She doesn't have, the test is not there, and the, and the Dalit isn't there. She's left only with the olive and the love. By the way, he doesn't say this, but to me it becomes so clear. And why it has become the normal element in Judaism is a yid. How do you even know which one of the symbols of a yid? Is a yid, when he krechts, when he groans, he says, oi. Why do we say oi? Because oi is the, is the root of all suffering and all darkness and all pain is when the aleph and the vav are lacking their connection to higher. And that's our Yiddish Krechts, oi. Now, this happened in Chodesh Av. That's why he says we commemorate Chodesh Av by the first nine days. Because these the nine days are the nine nekudas, and as the nine days progress, it gets darker and darker. Is because as the nine days progress, the nine nekudas that are being given from the husband to her are being taken away. So she's being left without anything. And he explains over there, which I'm not going to get into, why we don't have a commemoration for the dalit individually. It should be a commemoration for the nine days, and also four for the Dalit going out of the Das, which I'm not, which is, again, he gives two explanations there, but it's too much for tonight's, for tonight's discussion. But this is the significance of the nine days. When did it happen? When did all of this take place? That Malchus, that this disconnect took place? It happened on, on Chodesh Av. Why? Because you look in the Torah, you see that the that there's something that happened in Chodesh Av. As soon as it became Rosh Chodesh Av, the Torah relates a story. And that is the only yard site that's mentioned in the Torah is the yard site of Aaron HaKohen. And Aaron HaKohen's yard site mentioned in the Torah is that it's the first day of Chodesh Av. 
Aaron went up on a mountain, and he went up. And what happened when Aaron, when Aaron passed away? It says that after Aaron's passing, the Anani Yaakov, the clouds of glory, went away. The Jewish people were left vulnerable and, explo- and, ex- and exposed. They were attacked by the Canaanim. The Canaanim attacked, and they took Shevi and they took a captive. Rashi says it was one made woman that was taken captivity. But obviously, there must be such symbolism in this. What's the story? When the Canaanim attacked, that's the idea of the Gullus attacking. Canaanim is not just Canaanim. It represents the power of Kalipa attacking. So even though the Chorban based on English only happened so many years later, it was all there in that attack. What does it have to do with Aaron passing away? And why isn't Moshe Rabbeinu still alive? Why don't we have the protection? The answer is we know that Moshe and Aaron are two brothers, and the Zohar refers them as the two mediators between Hashem and the Jewish people. They're called the Shoshvinin. They're the ones who bring us to our Chuppah. They bring us to our union with God. Moshe Rabbeinu is the Shoshvinin of Hashem. He brings HaKadosh Baruch Hu down to us. And Aaron HaKohen is the Shoshvinin. He is the escort, the Matrinusa of the Queen. He brings us to, 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 the, to Hashem. So again, in two directions. Moshe Rabbeinu channels God to the world. That's why Moshe gives us the Torah. Aaron is the one who fires up the Jewish souls. He prepares us. He's the Kohen Gadol. He lifts the people up to Hashem. We know that Aaron was always so much involved with the people. He was the people man. He brings them close to the Torah. Moshe brings the Torah down. Aaron brings the people to the Torah. So since Aaron is the Shushvina de Matrinusa, spiritually it means um, um, uh, when we say Hashem and the world is also referring to Hashem and the Shechina, Hashem and Malchus, HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Malchus. So Aaron is the one who's the escort of the Shechina, Malchus. He lifts the Shechina up and Moshe Rabbeinu brings Hashem down. Now that Aaron passed away, we didn't have anybody to lift the Shechina up to her attachment, for her to be able to have her Yichud to receive the Tess and the Dalit. We don't have that, that power. Now, Aaron, you see in Aaron himself, he says that Aaron has these two, ch- he has to, ch- what Aaron connects is these two cables, because you see two things. On the one hand, Aaron is the one who channels chesed down to the world, because he's the one who benches the people. Bracha, levarech is amo Yisrael, ba'ahavo, with love. So Aaron is called isha chesed. That's the energy flowing to the shechina, into the keser, which is the chesed that we said earlier, the kindness, the expansiveness. But Aaron also enlights the menorah. And lighting the menorah is gavura. He, he puts up the fire. He, he instills the fire in the shechina. So Aaron is the one who brings both the gavura into das, and he also brings the, the chesed into keser. That was what we said earlier. These two jobs were both done by Aaron. That's why he actually also says a very gavaldic, kabbalistic concept. He says that Aaron is gematria, 72 plus 184. The gematria of Aaron is, I think, uh, 200-something. I'm not doing it right now. I don't have to write it down right now, but it's, I'm not so good with math. But it's 72 plus 184. Why? 72 is Hashem's name, Yudke Vavke, Bemilu Yudin, which is the name of, 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 of Chachma, which is ultimately the ultimate chesed name of God. And... Um, Kuf Pei Dalit is that very same name of 72, which is Bemilu Yudin, 
but you do an acharayim, you do it in the back, which means the way you spell yud is you spell, you spell out yud vav dalit, and then when you, but then when you make the gematra, you don't just do yud vav dalit, and then hey is hey yud, and vav is vav yud vav, and hey is hey yud equals 72. That's called milui yudin. But when you really want, when you want to do an acharayim, the way you do the gematri is you do yud, then yud hey, then yud hey vav, then yud hey vav k, okay, hey in the end. So you, you're setting them up in such a paradigm. Yud, yud hey, yud hey vav, and then yud hey. And that's how you build it up. And each plane, you have to fill in the inner, inner letters as well. Yud vav dalit, yud. If you do that, you'll get 184, which is the backside of this name. And he explains the front of the pnimius, the yud ke vav ke itself, gematri 72, that's the pnimius, that's the chesed element of it. The yud ke vav ke, that's gematri akuf pe dalid, is the backside. That's the gavura element. And from these two elements, Aaron can channel the light into Malchus and to enable her to have a union with her husband. When, Mal, when Aaron Akain passed away, it caused this disconnect. And that's the meaning also that they went and they took this one maid into captivity. This wasn't just a maid. This is the Shekhinah. And he brings a reference from the Zohar that the Shekhinah is called a maid. At certain. And this that we say, the Shekhinah goes to Golas. So with Aaron passing, this is what brought about this great disconnect and Chodesh of is, is, in such a, is in such a brokenness and such a destruction. Now comes Chodesh Elul. And Chodesh Elul, we're going to repair the damage that happened in Chodesh Elul. Why? So now, bear with me, we're almost at the end of this. But this is really, really, really unbelievable. So to conclude and to, to see how this is. This is like this. So now when we need to bring back the Tess and the Dalit into the Aleph and the Vav of the Oi and fix it. So we come to Chodesh Elul, and Chodesh Elul is two, has an Aleph and a Vav. But after the Aleph, it has a Lamed, and after the Vav, it has another Lamed. Two Lameds. Lamed, Lamed. What is the idea of Lamed, Lamed? So he says, in order to connect and to reestablish this bond between the Malchus and the Teferes and Yesod that will give it this, this union, the way to reestablish is you have to go higher. You have to go all the way up to Bina, to the mother, and Bina is the source of this repair. And the reason for that is because once Malchus is broken, in order for Malchus to be re redeveloped and re reconstructed, it needs to receive its energy from Bina. So first of all, he says an interesting idea that Elul is the exact gematria of Bina. The word Elul is Aleph Lamed and and Lamed Vav, which is 36, and is 67. So 67 is the exact gematri of the word Bina. Bina 67. Yeah? So that's number one. So Elul has a connection to Bina. We know Bina is the source of Tshuva. That's why Elul is a chaydish of Tshuva and the like. But there's another Indian over here. And Lamed is in Bina. So for some reason, in order to make this Tikkun, we need to go to the we need to go to Bina. And Lamed is in Bina. What? So he says the letter Lamed is indicative of Bina. Why? So first of all, in the name, Lamid means to learn. Lamid means to learn. And Bina is the place of learning. Chachma is just a flash. The real learning happens in the analytical side of the mind. That's the Lamid. So Lamid is Bina. Now, um, Lamid is also 30. And we know, it says in Pirkei Yavis, how Malchus Niknes 
There are 30 qualities in order to build Malchus. Malchus is constructed on 30 qualities. It says over there that Torah is Gedoyle Torah, that Torah is great. This week's Perkayav is Perkayav. Torah is greater than Malchus. Malchus is nicknessed with 30, with 30 things. Kahuna is nicknessed with 24, is acquired with 24. And Torah with 48. But you see that Malchus is acquired with 30 qualities. Ah, so if you want to construct Malchus all over again, and you have to construct both the Kesser of Malchus and the Das of Malchus. So you need to have the two ta- you need to have the two Lamets coming from Bina, which Bina is the source of this repair. And that's why you have Lamed Lamed. This is each one, the Lamed going to the Aleph and the Lamed going to the uh, Vav, which means into the Kesser of Malchus and into the Das of Malchus to recharge it, to get the connection going again. It's like you have your computer is down, you don't know a plug is not there, you have to replug it. So uh, this is the source from where you reconnect and get the energy flowing in Malchus again. What does it mean practically, bringing these two Lamids in? So Lamid means to learn. But Pneumius, it means something like this. Um, Malchus is called Malchus Peh. Malchus is, we said earlier, Malchus is the power of kingship, communication. God communicates with the world, creates it, commun- and, and sustains it through communicating, through the king. A king rules with his speech. That's why it says that Torah Shabal Peh is sphere, one, of, one of the elements of Shechina, of Malchus, is Torah Shabal Peh. Torah Shabal is called, the written Torah is related to the Ze'er Anpin, Ta'kadosh Baruch and the Torah Shabal Peh is related to, um, to Malchus. Why? Let's think simply what it is. If God, God is king over the world, how does God express his kingship? By, by ruling. How does he rule? By giving us decrees. Where are, his, where are his decrees? How do you know what God's decrees for life are on earth, our life? It's all through Torah. And we know the Torah governs all the worlds. And which part of Torah? From Torah Shabbat you don't know what Hashem wants. Only in Torah Shabbat it spells out in detail exactly how Hashem wants us to behave in subservience to Him. So in order to construct Malchus, we really need to construct Torah Shabbat Now Torah Shabbat derives its energy, even though it's in Malchus, it derives its energy from Bina. As it says, Shema Bini Musar Avicha, do not forsake the Torah of your mother. And the Torah of your mother is referring to Torah Shabal Peh. It's called Torah of your mother. Bina is called mother. Chachma is called father. And Bina is called mother. That means that the construction of Torah Shabal Peh comes from Bina. From understanding. Understand. That's how, you, how did Chazal decide Halacha? Halacha is the actual decree. How? By studying through Bina, through their learning. Now, in Torah Shabbat Peh itself, it's, it's, he says an amazing thing. It's the study of Gemara. Because Gemara clarifies Halacha. If you're learning just Mishnah, you know the Halacha. Gemara, the whole idea of Gemara is to clarify the mission. And therefore, he says an interesting thing. Since once the base of Mikdash was destroyed, the Abraham's Malchus was shattered, God's kingship in the world has kind of been almost discontinued. So now, what does it say in the Gemara? It says, Mishachara, based on Migdash, once the base of Migdash was destroyed, God doesn't have anywhere in his world. Only the four cubits of Allah. Why? Because only where people are studying Torah are they actualizing God's kingship over the world. 
You see, that's the only place where Hashem's malchus is now being realized. It's not realized in the base of English, so it's realized in those that are studying Allah. He says an amazing thing. Dalet Amma, he says, if you take the word Amma, which is Gematria, Amma is 46. Four times 46. Dalet Amma, so you take Dalet Amma, the word Amma, 46, four times. Plus the word halacha, because Dalet Amma is of halacha, because the point of these four cubits is to lead to halacha, is the exact Gematria of Gemara. So Gemara is the, is the, is, is the, is the study in which the halacha is clarified. Now watch this. Um, when Rav Ashi, the Gemara says in Masechtas Baba Basra, that when Rav Ashi, um, 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 Rav Ashi is the one who formulated the Talmud. He's the one who authored the Talmud. He gathered all the teachings from everybody, all the previous generations, and he developed it into the book of the Talmud. The Gemara says that Rav Ashi studied 30 years, taught his students, and th- from those 30 years of teachings, he compiled the Talmud. But then the Gemara says in Masechtas Baba Basra that Rav Ashi had a Madura Kama, he had a first version, and then he had a Madura Basra, he had an edited version. And the edited version he did in another 30 years. He did it two times 30 years to learn Gemara, to learn Shas. He developed it in one thirties, he did it slower than the Dafayomi. Dafayomi does it in seven and a half years, right? He did it in 30 years one time, 30 years a second time, and that's how he compiled it. These two times 30, these are the two lamids of Chodesh Elam, in which you construct Torah Shabbat And in this construction, Rav Ashi built up Torah Shabbat It's interesting, you could also say, he doesn't say it over here, but it could possibly be. The reason why the Talmud came about, Mishnah and Gemara, right after the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, because now is when we needed it more than any other time to reconstruct, as, at least as much as we can, the, 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 the Binyan HaMalchus, which is done through the study of Allah. Now we'll understand why. Now we'll understand why. Ani l'dodi v'dodi li. Comes Chodesh Elam. And we have to bring Ani l'dodi v'dodi li. We have to reconnect the Shekhinah and HaKadosh Baruch the opposite of Chorban. And the words Ani l'dodi means I am to my beloved, which means the Shekhinah turns to HaKadosh Baruch and my HaKadosh Baruch is to the Shekhinah, which means they, they, they re-communicate, they reattach themselves. That means that the tess and the dalit has to be restored. It shouldn't be oi, but there should be the tess and the dalit should come back. How will we do it in Chodesh Elom? So Chazal say, Haroya, the one who shepherds Bashoishanim amongst the roses. And Chazal say, don't read it roses, Sheshonim, but those who study Gemara. Why? Because when we study Gemara, we connect to those two Lamids and we bring it down. And when Lamids, the these 30 qualities of kingship that are brought back, and establishing the kingship of the Edishter, what happens of, as a result of that? What happens as a result of that? The Dalit and the Tess are restored. Why the Dalit and the Tess restored? Because, let's take a look at one more amazing thing. Torah Shabbat, the written, the, the, the oral law, we have different, it's basically expounding on Torah Shabbat on the written Torah. But how does it expand, expound on it? through 13 methods that the Torah expounds on. Rabbi Yishmael says there are 13 methods in which we can study Torah. Kalbomeg, Zereshava, we say it right before Hodu every day. 13 methods of, in which we imply in order to extract ideas from Torah Shabbat in order to develop Torah Shabbat. 13 methods. What are these 13 methods? These 13 methods 
are first of all related to the 13 attributes of mercy, which we said before is the Shoshana. Shoshana, the roses, are the 13 attributes of mercy. And the 13 methods of the Torah Nikmas band is connected to those 13 um, attributes of mercy, which, by the way, you can see that in the fact that, how do you know that these 13 are related? Just because this is 13 and that's 13, they're related because one of the things you see. The first one is Rabbi Yish- is it's taught to us by Rabbi Yishmael. Rabbi Yishmael is the one who teaches that. So he says, Rabbi Levi Yitzchak says an amazing thing. He says, what's the first of the 13 uh, Midas? So most people will say, Hashem Hashem Kel Rachum V'chanun. It's Hashem Hashem. Hashem on the second time Hashem. According to the Kabbalah, according to the Arizal, it's not that way. Hashem Hashem is not counted. You start with the word Kale. Kale is the first Midah. Ah, that's why Rabbi Yishmael was the one who heard it. Yishmael means Yishma Kale. He hears Kale. Since he feels the method, the power of Kale, so therefore he was, and Kale, we also know that the first of the 13 attributes includes all of them. That's what it says. The Tikkun Ha'echo, the first Tikkun, includes all the other Tikkunim. So therefore, Rabbi Yishmael, he's the one who gave us the 13 methods of the Torah that we can um, deduce Torah, connecting to the 13 attributes, the 13, which is the rose. Ah, and those 13, that's 13. Well, 9 plus 4 is 13. So the 9 and the 4 that we're missing, now that we're having two times Lamed, which means we're accessing the Bina, which is where Lamed, which gives us the ability to reconstruct Malchus for her to reconnect and return those 13 um, elements that were lacking, the test and the Dalet that were lacking, through the Sheshainim Halacha, which is the same idea of Sheshainah, which is the 13 attributes of mercy. And all of this come together. He actually says one more Geshmaka Enyan, just to conclude, and with this we're done. He said, if you take 60, because you have two Lamids, the two Lamids that are, that, are, that are brought through Torah study, you minus 13, because the 13 are the 13 points. So what you're left with is 40, 40, uh, six, 60 minus 13 is 47. He says 47 is the exact gematria of um, Shem Havaya, Yudke Vavke, which is 26, and Shem Eke, which is 21. 26 Ekes, Aleph Hey Yud Hey, from the word Eke Asher Eke. So that name of Hashem is 21. 21 and 26 is 47. He says because Havaya and and um, and Eke are the two names of Hashem related to the to Bina, but also Chachma. Eke is in Bina, and Yudke Vavke is in Chachma. And what does these two names have to do? Because when it says, when Hashem constructed Chava, Chava we know is the Shechina, it says, the Pasuk says, Vayiven Hashem Elokim Esatzela, that Hashem Elokim created the, the rib, he built it up. That means that in the construction of Malchus, there is Hashem Elokim, and Hashem Elokim is a reference to Chachma and Bina. Even though now we're saying it's Eke, because Eke and Elokim both are connected to Bina, we're not going to get into it right now. But that's the 47 that are extra. In other words, there is the source, Havai and Elokim together, are what bringing us back through the two Lamids, through the Torah, the study of Torah Shabbat, they're bringing us back the 13 that we're missing. And that's why he says it's El is a time of refuah, of healing, because the Tess, which restores the energy into Keser Malchus, 
which is the chesed energy. That's the refuah sanefesh. It's the refuah of the, the spiritual healing that happens in El. And the refuah saguf is the rectification. Guf is always considered gavura compared to the nefesh, which is considered chesed. So when we restore the gavura into the das of malchus, that brings refuah saguf. And we say refuah sanefesh or refuah saguf. May we merit that there should be complete and total healing. I want to conclude uh, with one last thing. It's amazing that this year there is going to be a total solar eclipse and it's going to take place exactly on Erev Rosh Chodesh Elul. And the significance to that, based on what we said now, is for 2,000 years we are, we are crying, Oy! And that's because the Jewish people are subservient to the nations. The Shechina is subservient in Golis. However, it says that whenever there is a solar eclipse, it's a bad sign to the nations. What does that mean? It means that the moon is on the rise. It's a good sign for the Jewish people. It's bad for the nations. The idea over here is if Erev Rosh Chodesh El, right before El, there is a there is a solar eclipse by the leader of all the nations of the United States, because the United States is a superpower in the world. So by the leader of all the nations, there is a solar eclipse. It's actually not a bad sign for them. It's a sign that you see that leadership is kind of gone amongst the nations and that the new star is rising, Mashiach Tzadkenu. Elul is the time of the rectification of Malchus. It's time already that we Jews should never say, Oi, ever again. We shouldn't have any groans. And from now on, there should just be Binyana Malchus, Binyana De'ad, Vnei Yerushalayim, Rakodesh, Meherobe Yameinu. May it be right now.